If you have a Bible with you, whether electronically or the, um, uh, the, the, the Bible's in the chairs, please reach for a, a copy of the Bible here this morning. We're going to be in two different places here in the book of Acts. Um, if you have the hard copy Bible there in the chairs, first turn to page 910. 910. We'll read a part of Acts chapter 2. And then you might want to place a finger or what have you, or just be prepared to turn back to Acts 16. Acts chapter 16, another selection there back on page uh, 925. A couple selections this morning uh, for the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God today. This is the Word of the Lord, uh, first here in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 36. This is a sermon. We're going to just step right into a sermon, these first couple of verses, kind of a summary of the sermon. Uh, It says, as Peter is preaching, one of the apostles, Apostle Peter is preaching here on the day of Pentecost. And then we'll just read on a little bit more about the results of his preaching, the results of the preaching. And we'll take a look at that this morning in terms of our teaching. And then we'll flip back to Acts 16 as well. Uh, This is the word of God. Uh, given all of the spirit that we might have strength and faith and encouragement in our hearts. Again, Acts chapter 2 at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then if you'll turn back to Acts chapter 16, uh, again in the hard copies in the chairs there, back to page 925. Now this section in Acts 16 is more activity of the work of the apostles It's now Paul and Silas, and Paul and Silas are in this particular city of Philippi. Maybe you've heard of the book of Philippians. Well, this is the city, Philippi, and you have this story here where Paul and Silas are ministering. So it's Acts 16 at verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, 
If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Uh, this is the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, take your word now. We pray that you would uh, bless it and, and lead us forth. Lord, we know that as we open your word, uh, you're the Lord. You're our teacher. You're our guide. And so would you minister to us this word, Father? Open our hearts, open our minds, even as it's so expressive what happened here to Lydia. Open our hearts to know all the things that you have for us that we'd be built up. We pray for your glory. We pray for your honor. We ask that indeed Jesus would be present here with us. Be with us now. In Christ's name. Amen. As Orthodox Presbyterian churches and other sister churches, uh, we're sometimes known as a Reformed church. That word Reformed will get our attention at times. Uh, you'll see that on some of our literature back on the back table there. Uh, you'll see that on our church sign out there uh, off the street there, church sign, our Reformed congregation. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean to be Reformed? What does it mean to have that name attached to a local church? Well, we start this way. Like other churches, like Bible-believing Christians, to be Reformed means that we open our Bibles. First step, first things. We open our Bibles. Like other Christians, like other churches, we read our Bibles. Like other Christians, like other churches, uh, we're given over to God that we might see in the Bible then, read in the Bible, be taught from the Bible, what is plain, what is plain and ordinary. What is there, as we say, just on the surface of the page, what is being taught to us here? To be reformed is to seek God that we might know his clear message, the plain reading of the Bible. And if you do that from the very first verse of the Bible, the very first verse of the Bible, uh, that very first verse even continues to help us think about that question. What does it mean to be reformed? We want to seek God. We want his, his plain message to be known. And that very first verse in the Bible, Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 at verse 1, you know those words, in the beginning, God. The plain reading of the Bible. In the beginning, God. It is not in the beginning, a force. It is not. In the beginning, space. It is not. In the beginning, things. Nor is it in the beginning, man. The plain reading, the plain words, plain understanding. Do you see that? What's plain is that the Bible is centered on God. He starts the story. And with our God being our God, such focus on Him is a guide. Such focus on our God keeps us, as we say in everyday conversation, keeps us from going off the rails into some false teaching. Our God is our God. And even as we begin there, in the beginning, God... Right away, God is being distinguished. He alone is God. There's none other. He's being distinguished that He is in the heavens. As we know here, He's the creator. And thus, He 
creates. There's a distinction between the creator and creatures and all the things of this world. And so what does that mean? Everything else is made by him. Everything else is a, bar, is a part of his plan, what he has in mind. God is God. And so even as we start out this way, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning is God. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God means we start there, we continue there, it's all about Him. And we trust in Him for it to end, even as He wants it all to end. In the beginning implies He has a plan, and He will carry that plan all the way through. Our God will be God, and our God will be God. So what's our point this morning? We're talking about what does this matter to be underneath the Lord, this matter to open our Bibles and to look for the plain reading? And what is, the, what is that message that is just there for us to, to listen and to, and to take into our hearts? Our focus is that, indeed, salvation is of God. Salvation is God's working. That's what it means to be reformed. That's part of what helps to make up this question and answering this question. Our God is the God who does the saving. And so it all bears on the fact that people are turning from their sins because God's at work. People are turning to trust in Him because God's at work. People are walking with the Lord and we, and we name them as Christian. They're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. They walk with the Lord and they bear His name because he's at work. Our God is our God. And our focus this morning, particularly one aspect of teaching that our Lord is the God, is this matter that he is the one who takes the scales from our eyes. He is the one to soften our hearts. He is the one who brings that, as we say, we go to the, we go to the wall, boom. We turn on the light, we say. He's the one that illumines our hearts. He opens our minds. He gives us eyes to see and hearts to trust. Our God is at work. And the language we use is that he's the one making new creatures in Christ, making us all brand new. He is the one to illumine our hearts. And the language we use now, you know, every discipline in life, doesn't matter if you're a mechanic. It doesn't matter if you're in the field of finances. It doesn't matter if you're in the field of dentistry. Every field and discipline of life has a language about itself. We use certain expressions. We use certain words. And Bible and Bible teaching is no different. The language we use of the Spirit of God working on our hearts and illumining our minds, that language we use, one aspect of it is called irresistible grace. It's irresistible. Our God imparts grace, and that grace is powerful to save. It works. Irresistible grace. Listen to what Jesus said. All whom the Father has given to me will come to me. Come to me for salvation. This is God's irresistible grace. They will come. They will answer God's call. They will turn. They will embrace the Lord. They will rest upon Christ. They will rely upon Christ. They will trust in the Lord. They'll give themselves to the Lord. Why? He's our Savior, our Lord, our majestic King, the Lord Jesus Christ. So reformed Christians, again, to put it in our 
everyday speech, our conversational speech, those who were formed asked the question, who's on first base? And we say God is. God's on first base. He receives all the glory. He's the God who saves. So three lessons now from these, le from these stories out of the book of Acts. Three lessons. God opens hearts. God gets the credit. And God receives his children. He receives his children and they serve him. Look at this first lesson. God opens the heart. In Acts chapter 2, if you turn back to Acts chapter 2 there, what does it say there in this whole matter at verse 37, when they had heard Peter, they've heard this now, verse 37, they were cut to the heart. <laughs> They're cut to the heart. That's that language. In the story of Acts 16 with Lydia, the Bible simply and plainly says here that she's the one who's listening in there beside the river. She's listening to Paul. And the Bible says at verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. The Lord opened her heart. This language of cutting to the heart, this language of opening the heart, that's that expression that indeed God is the one who gives the grace. God is the one imparts grace that is saving. It's powerful. It's working. It's effective. It accomplishes all that God has. And why is it that God opens? Why is it that God is working to cut to the heart? Because the, because the Bible teaches that man of himself has a closed heart. <laughs> the Bible teaches throughout that it's the hand of our God who's at work on the heart of man because he himself has a sinful heart. And so God is about opening the heart. What are, we, what are we saying here? Man's unable to save himself. Man is powerless. Think at home of a small appliance. You've got a small appliance at home. Maybe it's a, a coffee pot. That small appliance is this matter. It has power only when it is indeed plugged into the socket, the wall socket there. The resource is electricity. It is available. The power cord must be plugged in to access that power. But in talking about the Bible, man is powerless. He's powerless. His life and his heart is unplugged. He's separated from God by his sin. He's powerless. Listen to another place of the Bible. When we were dead, powerless, when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. So why does the Bible emphasize that he's the one working on the heart, opening the heart? Because it's just hand in glove, just as he's the one working on the heart, it's telling us man is sinful of himself and he has a closed heart. We were dead, powerless in our trespasses, and God made us alive together in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. You see, and this is another expression of the opening. To make us alive together is to cut through and penetrate the heart, to open the heart. Sometimes we use this illustration. Think of a person who's now drowned, dead there in the river, the lake. He's dead. Is he able to somehow 
reach up out of the water somehow into, or into the water, out of the water, and somehow grab himself and pull himself up to save him. He cannot. He is dead. The only act of salvation to save that one dead at the bottom of the lake is that it must be the act of a rescue. One must come and perform CPR on him. Rescue must come to bring that dead person to life. That's why the Bible summarizes this way. Our God promises that his people, he will get to his people, he will give them a new life. This change of heart is presented in various ways in the Bible. Believers are said to be born again. They are said to be, to be made new creations. They're raised from spiritual death. Do you remember Lazarus, the story of Lazarus? John chapter 11, Lazarus there has been dead in the tomb for the four days. Mary and Martha are there. Family members are there at the tomb. There are tears all around. Lazarus is Jesus' close, close friend. And Lazarus comes to that tomb. Sorry, Jesus comes to that tomb where Lazarus is. And Jesus simply says, remove, remove that stone. And then shouts there, Lazarus, come forth. And what is Jesus doing? Jesus is saying, Lazarus, you who are dead, come to life. Lazarus. You who are about sin and death and condemnation, death itself to be swallowed there, you come to me. I take death to myself. I take the ruin of sin and condemnation of sin to myself. Come, Lazarus. Come forth, Lazarus. And the Bible teaches us. He walks out. <laughs> it's resurrection. New life is given. This is the awesome power of God. God opens the tombs. God opens the dead hearts. God takes the scales from our eyes. God takes the dullness of our hearing and gives that openness to hear. This is His grace. Are you under His grace this morning? Is your life showing forth, O oh Lord, it's your grace? Is your life showing forth? Oh, Lord, it's, it's your working here. And so I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm your servant. I'm here for you, oh God. This is the awesome power of our God. And that's why we then secondly focus that he gets the credit. Our God opens hearts and he gets the credit. Sometimes we have that question. You've heard that question before. What is the chief end of man? We can turn that a little bit. We can say, what is the chief end of God? <laughs> what is the chief end of God? What is God's purpose? God's purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy himself forever and ever and ever. That's the focus, like Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. What is his chief purpose? To glorify his own great name and his glory. We are but his creatures. We are but his servants. And that's why the focus is he gets the credit. He gets the credit because of his awesome power. In Acts chapter 2, once again, Peter is preaching. And he's also, he's been preaching about the lordship of our God, the majesty and dominion of our God. If you're in Acts chapter 2, 
Look at verse 36. The Lordship of our God and who he is, Acts 36. He's finishing up his sermon. Let all the house of Israel therefore know, know for certain what? That God has made him. Who's them? The Lord Jesus Christ. God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. What's the point? The passage is reminding us that our God is the God who, who has exalted his son. This Lord who, who has been exalted is the one named Jesus, who is both Lord and Christ, Master and Savior, the one who rules over all. Our God works, and He gets the credit. What does this mean, this language that He calls those to Himself, those whom He wanted? That's what you have in this language here. When it says at verse 39, same, same sermon that Peter's wrapping up, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. Our God is working to call. Our God is working to summon, to invite, to welcome, to receive, as we'll see in just a little bit. But our God is the one who does the calling. What does this mean? He starts the work of salvation. The language you use is he initiates. He leads forth to initiate his saving love. He leads it forth. He gets the credit. He initiates this. Dead people on the bottom of the lake are dead. They can't say, Lord, can't you see me? They're dead. He must come to them. Lazarus over here in the tomb. He's been dead for four days. Lazarus cannot in the tomb say, Lord, I'm here. Don't you see me? I'm here. It's the Lord who goes to the tomb. It's the Lord who summons Lazarus to come forth. He initiates his saving love. Do you remember the story in John chapter 4? It's the woman at the well. John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. We see many things in that story. But one of, we, one of the things we see is that the Lord Jesus Christ himself, it tells us that he has this purpose to go to Samaria. Remember now, he's down here in the southern part of Israel called Judah, Judea. Samaria is right in the middle of the land of old Palestine. Up to the north is Galilee. So Jesus is here and he's making his way to the north. There were three ways you could get to the north. You either cut into the east and go around Samaria. You cut to the west over by the Mediterranean coast and go around Samaria. Or you go directly through. And you know the story right in John chapter 4. The Jews and the Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. All of their own history of their ethnic diversity, and frankly, let's call it what it is, ethnic hatred, but the Bible tells us that Jesus is Lord and he's the one to initiate this ministry. We're told in the Bible that indeed he had to go to Samaria. This is purpose. John chapter 4, verse 4, he had to go to Samaria. It's his initiating love. And you see, this is his lordship. He's the one who is the gift of living water. He is the one who's greater than the father Jacob out of the Old Testament. Jesus is the one who says, I am he, Messiah, the great I am. He's the one who gives that gift 
as he will later say, he himself is the gift. That water, the water I give to you, he says to the Samaritan woman, the water I give to you will satisfy you thoroughly. You will not come back to this water anymore, where she's getting their physical water. He turns that on its head and says, I am the one who gives you living water. I am he. This is the lordship of Jesus. But notice how he's ministering. It's very intentional. I, he had to go through Samaria. Why? He's ministering the gospel. The gospel is moving from Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria, to the north, to Galilee, even to the uttermost, part, uttermost parts of the world. What's the point? Our God gets the credit. He's initiating the gospel and where it is going, the good news, to trust in him and to believe in him. He gets the credit. Listen to Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Listen to Psalm 103. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, but the wind passes over it and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him. And then it concludes, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that pleases him. He gets the credit. Now, I know when I come to passages and I come to Bible teaching like this, I begin to think to myself, well, is this credit? Is this credit that he gets? Is this working that he's about? Is this credit that he gets? Is it a credit that is raw and impersonal? Is that working that he is about even slightly manipulative? Is it manipulative? Is it coercive? Is this, is this working that he's about initiating his grace upon the heart? Is it impersonal? Is it raw? And the answer is no. Is this working? I, I think more to myself. Maybe you are this morning as well. I think more to myself. Well, is this working then a working to where we see that man indeed is genuine? Is, is this working on the man or woman's heart? Does it leave room for a genuine, meaningful role that we have? Are we puppets, we sometimes say? Are we puppets? Are we puppets then without responsibility, without responsible activity? Is he, is he coercive? Is he working by forces? Is this God's work? No. Man is not a puppet. Man is not coerced. He always has responsibility. We always have responsibility in all of our activities. Human beings, we act from our own hearts and from our own motives. We are responsible. We are active morally. Are we automatons? Are we coerced? Are we programmed? No, no, no. The Bible teaches us, for an example, Psalm 110, Psalm 110. In that passage in Psalm 110, there's a section talking about 
how the Lord is king and he's mustering his own. He's bringing together his own as he has his authority as king. Now, the language is likely military language. It is in Psalm 110. But notice, those who are brought to the Lord for his service, the Bible tells us at verse 3, Psalm 110, your people offer themselves freely. Your people offer themselves freely into your service. That's the language of salvation. Our God is working, and people come to him freely. Human beings act from their own hearts and motives, being responsible, and they are active morally. John 6, 37, we quoted that earlier. Jesus is speaking. All that the Father has given to me will come. And in that context, in John 6, they are coming because they're listening. They're being drawn in. They're actively listening. They're actively, to be redundant, they're actively acting. They're giving themselves unto their Father. All that the Father has given to me will come. And his people have ears to listen. They hear my voice and they follow. John, uh, Jesus will say in John 10, they hear my voice and they will follow. Language of freedom language of our human nature, not puppets, not automatons. So what's a little bit more, just a little bit more on this. What's behind some of this teaching? Think of it this way. A person acts according to his nature. Let me say that again. A person always acts according to his nature. Jesus said an evil man brings out evil, things stored up in his heart. A person acts according to his nature. An evil man brings out evil things stored up in his heart. And Jesus went on to say, the good man brings forth good things out of the good stored up in his heart. A person acts according to his nature. You see, a sinner is a slave to sin. And he acts according to his or her nature. The one whose heart has been opened, the one whose heart has been opened by God is set free from sin. And then he or she acts from that new heart, responsible, and acting with new desires. The newness of life gives newness of desires. To do what? To please God. And this is grace that is powerful to save. And God gets the credit. John 6, 37, all that the Father has given to me, Jesus says, will come. He, she, a young child will come. Our God is gracious then to receive his children. And that's our last point now. We've seen that God opens hearts. He gets the credit. He's the one working, and he receives his children. Do you remember in Acts chapter 16? Do you remember there in Acts chapter 16, the story once again of Lydia? How does she respond? How does she respond? The Bible tells us that she was baptized, she and her household as well. And then Paul is writing, Luke is writing, these missionaries with Paul. 
And she then urged upon us, what? Saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And then she prevailed upon us indeed to stay. What are we getting at here? New birth, a new life, a new heart leads to, indeed, new obedience, new living for the Lord. This idea of a new creation, a spiritual resurrection, means that a new heart is now in Lydia. And what? Lydia's received of the Lord. That's our God. He receives these children of His. She's baptized. She serves. This is the awesome power of God. He's the one who has been who has worked his work of grace in the sinner's heart. And the Bible tells us they come. They come to the Lord Jesus. He works. He receives. He welcomes. And that's the story of Lydia. The Bible tells us back in Acts chapter 2 that when they were cut to the heart, cut to the heart by Peter's preaching of that sermon, the Bible tells us, men, what should we do? There's a response. Our God is the God who receives. Our God is the God who's working to receive and to, to then embrace them and to enfold them into his family. And the Bible tells, it tells us they were baptized. They're, in, they're embracing the Lord, walking with the Lord, being folded into the family of God, and thus this is his working. Yes, it's true. The Bible teaches sinners from birth oppose him. But our God is the God who's gracious, and that gracious working of His ultimately triumphs in their life. No one can resist the saving power of our God. He opens the heart, and that grace working to open that heart is a powerful grace. It works to bring, to draw, and thus He embraces them. That's why the Bible calls this irresistible grace. We, we use that language from the Bible. This grace is irresistible. His grace accomplishes what He intends. All whom God has chosen for salvation will come to the Lord Jesus and receive Christ and walk in Christ. Has God's grace reached your heart? Is it showing? Lord, my life is over. Mark Sumter used to be living his life. You put your name there. Lord, my life is over. I'm yours. I'm here for all of your bidding, O oh God. I'm here out of your mercy. Lord of myself, I don't deserve this. I deserve one thing, Lord. My sin in my ruin deserves condemnation. I deserve the tomb. I deserve death. I deserve that eternal separation from you, O oh God, to die in my sins and to be judged in my sins. Mercy of mercy of mercy. Glorious mercy. He spares us. And as His grace is at work, He receives us and welcomes us. Have you fled to Christ? Is Jesus yours? You say, Mark, how do I do this? Faith is the link to our salvation. You trust in the Lord. Turn from your sins. Tell Him you're a sinner. 
Tell him you deserve judgment and condemnation. And tell him Jesus alone saves. His son, the very son of God, has come to live for you and to die for you, to be raised on the third day for you. Tell him, Lord, he's my salvation. I have no hope but through Christ. You tell him, you even tell him they're in the chairs today. He hears our hearts. He knows our, our cries. You mean business with God. He means business with you. The Bible tells us you draw near to God. He draws near to you. He draws near to you for salvation. And then friends, Good Shepherd Church, we can't keep this news to ourselves. These byways right out here, this neighborhood behind us, the neighborhood way across the street, the neighborhood down this street, people you work around, people you know well, family, loved ones, you can't keep this news to yourselves. This is the mercy of God that's first come to you. Are you praying by name for someone that you might say, Lord, make me ready. Lord, give me that openness. That's to say, Lord, as you open doors, as you give opportunity, may I step across that threshold and say, yes, I am a believer. I trust in our God, who's the God of mercy, who has saved me from my sins. Here, let me show you as well. Friends, we cannot keep this news to ourselves. Our God is the God who is Lord and Savior. As those that name this language of being reformed, we're saying, God, you're God. In the beginning, God. So, Father, use me. Father, take me. Show me. Lead me. Father, as you have my life, as you have my life for salvation, I am here to do your bidding every day that you give me breath. I belong to the Lord. What comfort, what hope, what love. This is our God who loves us. And that love is of that saving power to lead us forth from now to eternity. Let's pray. Father, may that marvelous power, love, wisdom, grace, so be at work in our lives that we rightly reckon that our lives are over and we're here to live out the salvation that you've given. We bless your holy name. Take us, Father, and lead us forth, all for the mercy of our great God, all in his mercy that you might be our God, we might be your sons and daughters to serve the living God. Hear us, Lord. Lead us, we pray. We give, we give our hearts to you. We give our lives to you that through Jesus we might serve the Lord. And we do pray in his name. Amen.